My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. GameStop shares languished for years, but now are on fire. An army of users from the social media platform Reddit is turning the stock market on its head in what The Verge is calling an online tug of war. social media platforms, there's this online populism that is pushing back at the Wall Street Insider. This trading app, Robinhood, just halted anyone's ability to buy GameStop, to buy AMC movie theaters, to buy Nokia stock. It's unlike anything most people have seen before. We've all been paying more attention than usual to the stock market lately, but perhaps not to the trades that matter most. Because before GameStop and Reddit and short squeezes became part of non-traders' vocabularies, there was a market debut that might be a sign of things to come. Whether it's a good or bad sign depends on your point of view. But there it was on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, beginning in early December. Water futures. A small area of California's water, to be exact, being traded as a commodity, with investors able to take stakes in its future. So now the question, is this... A sign of the apocalypse of late-stage capitalism? Or is it just a good way to get a sense of how individuals and companies are purchasing and using a small part of our most precious resource? How do you trade water futures anyway? And I mean, should we? Isn't this like rooting for droughts and disasters? But regardless, as one of the richest countries in the world, when it comes to this resource anyway, what does this small example mean for Canada in the bigger picture? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Diane DuPont is a professor in the economics department at Brock University. She is the co-author of Running Through Our Fingers, How Canada Fails to Capture the Value of Its Top Asset. Hello, Professor DuPont. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing well. Can you start um, maybe for people to whom this came as kind of a shock when the news broke a little while ago? How did we end up uh, with water futures trading on the stock market? Um, So as you mentioned, uh, water futures started trading on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in the U.S. uh, in early January. And uh, uh, just let me explain what a water futures contract is. So so this is an, an agreement to buy or sell an asset at a specified future date at a pre-specified price. And typically what happens with normal futures contracts, not water contracts, and I'll come back to that in a sec, what would typically happen with a normal futures contract is at the future date, the exchange takes place, the seller pays the price to the buyer, and the buyer hands over the asset, typically a physical asset to the seller. With water futures, this isn't what happens. Water 
is not physically transacted on this water futures exchange. Rather, water futures contracts are settled financially. In other words, dollars exchange at the end of the period. So no actual physical transfer of water from a buyer to a seller takes place. And I think it's important that people understand the distinction between this water futures market where these contracts, which are essentially contracts in prices and how prices are going to change in the future, um, take place. So a distinction between trading in futures contracts and trading in actual water. And they're different. Yeah, I'd love to know, you know, how it works and when the headlines say, you know, water is now being traded in futures on the CME. What water are we talking about? So we're not talking about any water. We're talking about dollars. Well, we are talking about water. Right. We are talking about water. So let me let me explain. There are, in fact, if you will, and this is a simplification, in fact, two kind of markets exchanges that are taking place. On the one hand, there is the real physical trading in water, which has been, by the way, taking place in California for over 30 years. So, so water actually trades physically in California. And this mm-hmm. is in fact the, the underlying physical market that is being reflected in the, the water futures contracts that we just spoke about. So for over 30 years, we've had water trading taking place in California. And why do we do that? It's because there's a lot of variability in water availability over the season, often a mismatch between what is needed and when and where And so what has happened is that we have in the U.S. and California sellers who are willing to essentially transfer a physical quantity of the water over which they have rights to a buyer. Essentially, there are groups of people in California who've had water rights or essentially entitlements to use water pre-1914. So these are very special kinds of water rights, and they basically give the owner the right to take water on uh, on their land. Now, there are other types of water rights in California called riparian rights. And these are rights to use the flow of water that passes over your land. So if your land is adjacent to a stream, to a river, to a lake, quite often people have these so-called riparian rights. Right. And California recognizes these. So these two kinds of rights, essentially, that people have to effectively sell water. So there are water sellers, there are water buyers, and as I said, for over 30 years, we've actually had trades that have been taking place between buyers and sellers. Now, the volume of actual trading is is pretty small. It's about 4% of all of the water that's used in the state. So, And most of the trading that takes place is within the same county or region. So the water isn't going very far away from where it originates, if you will. So you have these buyers, typically uh, the buyers of water tend to be agriculture, so farmers, and the sellers tend to be, so a lot of the water rights are vested in water districts. So these can be farmers, they can be municipalities, and if they've got excess water, they can sell, transfer their water to someone who needs it more than, than them. And the price at which the trade takes place is called the spot price. So that's the actual price today, of buying and selling and then uh, the water entitlement. Now, I think it's really important to understand that the actual price, the actual transaction price, it has two components. One is the price that the buyer um, gives to the seller. 
And the other is the cost of transporting the water from point A to point B. And that's just the, that's the cost of kind of moving the water around. And the spot price does not reflect that. It simply reflects the water price. This is done not without regulatory oversight. So there are agencies that have to kind of approve these transfers. And these transfers can either be long-term, say over a period of years or short-term over a period of a certain um, months say, but nonetheless, the, the transfers do need to be approved because if they transfer or if they cross, say, a county line, then you're essentially moving water from a particular uh, area of water, a watershed area, for example, and that could have environmental consequences. And how do the futures trades play into that? I, I'm just trying to picture out how the whole system ties together. So remember what I said earlier, a futures contract is as a, an agreement between a, a buyer and a seller, if you will, to um, exchange something at the end of a certain period of time for a pre-specified price. And so where do water futures and water trading meet? They meet essentially in this index, which is called the NQH2O, the NASDAQ VELUS California Water Index. And it's actually a benchmark index that was created a couple of years ago to essentially track what was happening to real water prices, so real spot prices in California over the season. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of variability in water prices. And as you might expect with any kind of um, asset, as it becomes relatively scarce, its spot price or its value increases. Mm -hmm. And certainly it was observed within the California market that as it got towards the end of the summer, in some cases there were drought situations, farmers still needed water, they were having to effectively buy water in this California market, but the price would rise as the, there were more drought conditions. And so what this meant for farmers is if you started off and you kind of put your crops and your seeds in at the beginning of the year and you knew that a certain amount of water was needed to grow them to be able to you know reap them at the end of the summer if you didn't have enough water because there'd been not enough rainfall you'd be looking to buy more water to irrigate your crops and you could do it by buying on the spot market prices however if there's been drought would have gone up and so even though you would have had your kind of cost predicted at the beginning of the season say your cost went up by 20 or 30 percent at the end of the season it's going to speak to the bottom line in terms of profitability and so the whole point of the index was to effectively track on a kind of a daily i think they do it on a weekly basis actually track the spot prices for actual transacted water in a number of different um, surface markets. So water is both surface, so from blue rivers, streams, um, lakes, and also groundwater. So water that you would pump out of the ground. And what they've been doing is they've been tracking basically all of the different trades that have taken place. And that index represents the spot prices and how they've changed over time. See, this whole system to me um, is fascinating. And I take your point about how it can give us you know, some insight into what that water that's being traded physically is kind of really worth uh, as it fluctuates up and down. But to a layperson, you know, the idea that that we're commodifying water, even though I know that's not exactly what's taking place, sounds uh, sort of terrifyingly late stage capitalism. Do you know what I mean? I guess as an economist, I think of water as an asset 
um, I know some people like to think of it as a commodity, and I guess in some senses, it is something that we use. If we think of a commodity as something that's useful to us, then definitely water is is useful to us. And if I think of it as an asset, I ideally want to be able to use that asset to the best of my ability to get the most value out of it. And obviously markets are one way in which value can be realized. We see that in the, the value of this index. We see farmers in late stages of, of their farming needing to pay higher prices because the water is more valuable. It has what's called a higher opportunity cost, a higher valued alternative that we want to be able to reflect in order to be able to use water most efficiently. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Over time, as you know, we watch that index fluctuate, what do you expect to see, I guess? What are you looking for? And uh, to bring this all back to why we're talking to you and some of the work you've done, what are the implications of this for Canada? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I did a few little calculations. I just want to kind of run these by you and, and see if this is uh, of any help to you to understand. So we're, we're basically talking about the relative value of water. So uh, the way the the uh, contracts work is they're priced in US dollars per 10 acre feet. The problem with water is it's, it's we talk about such huge quantities. So what is, what is an acre foot? An acre foot is essentially one acre. So it's roughly think about a football field to a depth of one foot. So that is kind of the volumetric place. Now that's one, one acre foot is one, just over 1.2 million liters of water. Current spot prices on that index are around 524 USD. So that's a per acre foot. So that's approximately $665 Canadian. If I were to calculate that on a per liter basis, I'd be looking at four or five significant digits (laughs) below zero. Right. Um, It's cheap. Yeah, that works out to about five cents per thousand liters. Okay. So that's approximately right now what what people are paying. Um, Just for interest, a couple of things to reference, and and this is always interesting to think about the relatives. If I were to look at the price of oil right now, where it's currently priced, so about $55 US per barrel, that's about 159 liters. We're talking the relative price of oil at $440 Canadian per thousand liters. So five cents per thousand liters versus $140 per thousand liters. So that kind of gives you a a relative sense. Um, And if you want another kind of relative, in Ontario, uh, industrial users of water, so we're talking industry, municipalities, um, can apply to have what's called a permit to take water, PTTW. And um, that has to be approved by the Ontario government because water is essentially vested in the crown. Um, and specifically, surface water is vested in provincial crown. Uh, and in order to have the right to use it, you have to have a kind of a permit. Um, it used to be the case that with permits to take water, that the, the price, if you will, was a kind of a, an administrative fee that companies would pay for the right to do this. 
um, over the last few years, there have been efforts to try to charge on a kind of, I won't say volumetric basis, it's not exactly that, but it can be put into volumetric terms, in other words, per liter approximately. And if I were to use current prices for industrial users, not bottled water, I'll come back to that in a sec, industrial users of kind of surface water in Ontario, it's about 0.004 cents per thousand liters. That's the permit to withdraw. And if you were a bottled water supplier, so in other words, you, you're drawing groundwater for bottled water purposes, it works out to be about 50 cents per thousand liters. So it kind of gives you a sense of where the relative prices happen to be. My point, I think you were asking me about what's the implication for Canada of this kind of spot market. I would say not much, quite frankly. Um, those water futures contracts are tied to spot prices that are determined in the actual water trading markets that take place in the States. Right. I guess my question is more about the future implications, not of this uh, index specifically. You know, it, to your point of your work about how uh, Canada is devaluing its top asset, if we are now talking about more broadly uh, setting prices and allowing trading on water as a commodity or a, an asset, where does Canada sit on that? I imagine, again, as a layperson, we've got to be uh, well positioned. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there are trades that take place in Alberta, uh, similar to what's going on in uh, California, but not on anywhere near like the scale. There have been kind of minor trades between kind of people with water rights, if you will, water entitlements from kind of one district to another district to kind of ease out irrigation uh, needs, if you will. But again, the issue comes down to at the end of the day, if we need to be moving the water from point A to point B in order for the buyer, if you will, to use it, it's such a heavy resource in its current state as, as kind of surface water or even groundwater, you don't want to move it very far from you know, where, the, where, it, where it sources to where it's to be used. And so that means then there's very limited scope for actual trading of water. Where could bigger volumes of water be traded? Certainly, I suppose if some kind of pipeline were built to move water in bulk from one location to another or through a tanker, those are at least in theory potentially possible. But we again come down to the fact that at the moment, the cost of transporting it is so astronomically high relative to the value, if you will, that's been expressed that it would not really be worth it. it and, and so, for example, um, in some jurisdictions where there's been kind of water shortages, rather than move water around, they've turned to seawater and they do desalination for drinking water. So Israel, for example, there are places in Australia where it's so expensive to move water, you look for sources that are closer by, you try to transform them, if you will. So why do you think the start of this index about a month ago got so much attention if as you know we look at it it's it's more of just a correlation to things that are already happening in a way to to value it i guess in a way for people obviously to play the market correct i i think the other fear is uh, well first of all i think perhaps people have not drawn the distinction between the the market to trade a futures contract where the asset doesn't trade and then the actual water trading market. So, I mean, that's the distinction that people need to think about it. But of course, there's always a fear that if there is, um, how shall I put it, a kind of an unfettered market. So for example, 
um, uh, futures market where someone who perhaps is not necessarily buying the right for the purpose of actually being able to um, lock in a specific price for a key input, which a farmer would be doing presumably, that, that, that someone could perhaps go into this futures market and buy up a lot of contracts and kind of artificially raise prices. Um, but again, recall this index is reflecting the actual trades that are taking place. So I, th I think there is a fear of perhaps not understanding how futures contracts work and, and the fact that this is not a typical futures contract. Uh, I, I guess one of the other things that to me, I would want to kind of think a little bit about is my understanding is the, the people who do buy the contracts, uh, these futures contracts can buy them on margin. And that simply means they don't actually have to have the full amount of the value of the trade up front at the time at which they make the trade. And so I suppose there's a possibility at some point in the future when the contract comes to an end, if, if you guessed wrong and the price actually falls and you're stuck paying a higher price, you've got to pay the full amount of that contract as opposed to just the, the margin that you made the decision on. That would be more of a risk for a potential farmer, I think, or the buyer of the water contract. I don't know. I don't think that's really the fear that people have uh, over this. I, I guess the other thing that I'd like to point out is that this index, again, reflects simply a volume or, or tr a price of, of a transacted volume, if you will. It says nothing whatsoever about the quality of the water. Uh, water is multifaceted. So um, we want, you know, simple thing is ground water versus surface water. Groundwater has more mineral content, surface water has less mineral content. Right off the bat, those are two different types of waters. And if I were using them in two different processes, operations, I might want one over the other. I might have to spend money purifying, for example, removing the minerals. So it's hard to say that there is a single price for water because of its multi-attribute features. I think where people get hung up on it, and you kind of touched on it maybe a a little bit ago where you're saying that's not really the technicalities are not really what people are concerned about here. It's, you know, it's the idea of simply putting quote unquote water, whether it's real water or not, uh, on a stock market. I mean, it, you know, it, it feels like we might as well put air on there and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be a smart ass, I guess is the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that's what, that's what initially goes across people's minds. Yes. Yes. Certainly. If there is a fear that uh, water and air are resources that uh, are assets that to some extent, obviously they belong to everyone. And certainly that's the way it is in Canada, the water and air, if you will, although we don't usually think of it in those terms, are assets of the crown of our, our government and to be used for beneficial use for all citizens. And so um, certainly there is a fear that if someone were to gain control of the water, then that individual or that company or whatever might profit in a way that takes away the beneficial uses from other people. And perhaps we would lose the sense of losing control. Do you see that happening? What are the realistic chances that somebody could uh, use the market this way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, this particular futures market, I don't see a lot of scope, again, because it is grounded in the real transactions and reflecting real conditions in California. Do I think the market could become bigger? I doubt it. The, I think the California situation is, at the moment at any rate, 
right, quite unique. And so I don't really see it being replicated on a broader kind of scale. I certainly wouldn't ever see a world market in water. I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm naive about that, but I'm just still coming back to the fact that water is heavy. It needs to be transported from one use to another. And that is still extremely expensive. And I see it as a big deterrent to more wide-scale trading, if you will. I certainly hope you're right. And Professor DuPont, thank you for taking the time today to kind of explain this to us, because I feel like I understand it much better now. Thank you very much. Professor Diane DuPont of Brock University. That was The Big Story. And if you would like more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You will find all of our episodes there. You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. We would love to hear from you. And of course, you can email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. As always, we're in all your podcast players, Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify, and too many others to mention. Use whichever one you like best, as long as you listen to us. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season 6, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency.